0: Uh,
1: Hello everyone um, and welcome to Short Reverse Shot Um, and this week we are talking uh, about high school, uh, more specifically um, high school seen through the American Teen movie. Um, and we're talking about it um, because uh, myself and Ed. Hello, Ed. Hello. Um, we saw um, a rather fetching film at this year's uh, Sheffield Festa festival of which we're both particularly fond, um, called Beyond Clueless, uh, a film uh, made by a young scamp by the name of Charlie Lyne, who some of you might know from uh, his Guardian Guide column and the, the uh, ultra-culture blog he used to write. Uh, not so much anymore. He's, uh, he's sold out. He's gone serious, Ed.
2: Yeah, he's gone to the other side mm. of people who actually make films.
1: Yeah, Poacher turned Gamekeeper, that kind of <laughs> l- long uh, didn't like Truffaut in that when they all critics beforehand and then they kind of went and started saying, Oh fuck this, we can do better than that.
2: Yeah, and Bogdanovich. Yeah. Scabs, all scabs.
1: Yeah, so he's uh uh kind of joining Illustrious Company. Um and yeah, his film's really rather good, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's really fantastic. It's Uh, Beyond Clueless is kind of an essay film, um, but not in that it's a film about friends. For any Spanish language listeners, Uh, it's a it's a film looking at the teen movie, particularly the teen movie from 1995 when Clueless was released, up until 2004 when uh, Mean Girls was released, which uh, Charlie Lyon in uh, his uh, on Ultra Culture talks about as the kind of a, a golden age for teen movies in which there were more. Uh, teen movies of uh, more different varieties and genres and uh, tones than at any other time before or since, and he uses the clips from the uh, from the from these films with with music by uh, Summer Camp, which uh, is kind of this wonderful dream pop, and great voiceover by Frouza Bolk to kind of talk about the various themes that run throughout all these uh, disparate films.
1: Mm. and like say we enjoyed the film at Dot Fest where we were lucky enough to see it with a live score by the band Summer Camp um, uh, which was uh, quite an experience in itself Um, and after the screening um, I kind of buttonholed Mr. Line into a corner with a microphone um, and we had a brief chat about the film Uh, here's what you had to say I kind of thought whilst watching that that I would be a bit more intoxicated by the nostalgia and I thought you did a really good job of kind of stepping back slightly from that because it, it must be very easy to put something like that together and basically just be kind of like oh wasn't this awesome rather than making the point you want to make
0: yeah i mean for me the nostalgia is, is absolutely a key part of it but the reason i find the nostalgia so fascinating is because the films seem so different to me now than they did when i was a teenager you know so it's it's nostalgic because i remember cherishing these films when i was 15 but mm. equally it's sort of unsettling and unnerving because i'm like wow, what was I cherishing? You know, all these layers to these films that I never saw when I was a teenager and and now seem so sort of either horrific or fantastic or just bizarre. Um, So I think nostalgia is really important, but it's the the sort of uncanny realisation that comes with that nostalgia that I find interesting.
1: Um, There was quite a lot of high-profile emissions uh, in terms of what you chose to focus on, uh, and I really loved that. Um, Was that more a deliberate shift away from what was already had a lot written about it or was that more about your personal feelings towards those films? I mean, if perhaps you were gonna look at any academic study of teen movies, Idle Hands and Don't Say A Word, uh, sorry, um, Can't Hardly Wait would hardly be probably the higher end of uh, people's lists, but I really love that you chose to focus on those.
0: I always thought of the process a little bit like kind of therapy, like we were trying to sort of coax these films into revealing something that they didn't perhaps intend to reveal. Mm -hmm. And so actually you often find with with the kind of real big hitters of the teen genre, with the kind of cluelesses and um, 10 things I hate about yous of of that world, that actually there isn't much to reveal because they kind of know themselves and they they set out to say certain things and they do that very efficiently and I love them for that, but it makes them not that interesting to deconstruct. To me, the, the films that were much more interesting were the ones that maybe set out to say one thing and inadvertently say another Mm. or you know end up revealing a lot more about themselves than they mean to and so that it kind of inherently drew us to the sidelines a little bit more and and lots of films that aren't perhaps as well remembered as as clueless or mean girls or cruel intentions or any of those kind of films um and to me those are the ones that are really fascinating And, and i think also the teen genre is one of those things where people don't you know people's favorite teen movies are not the classics Mm. you know most people the one teen movie they really identified with was the one they happened to end up with on vhs and watched 60 times when Mm. they were 14 or the one that for some reason struck a chord with them but no one else so i think it it's a genre that lends itself to the the oddities and the sidelines and we were trying to kind of capture that
1: where do you think teen movies are kind of going now post mean girls there seems to be a kind of uh, slightly disturbing lean towards kind of frat boy country. Uh,
0: well, I think, uh, I'm glad you said country because I was wondering whether we were allowed to swear or yeah, not. I was aw- acutely aware that c- this equipment is incredibly high tech, by the way. Oh so right. I suddenly felt like I was on Radio <laughs> 4 and that yeah. I shouldn't swear. So let's talk more about country. It's good that I can fool you with my uh, um. <laughs> transparent professionalism. Uh, no, it's... Uh, it sorry, I immediately forgot the question. What was
1: it? Uh, where are T-movies going? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. No, and in fact it's interesting because I think you know, teen movies always come in waves uh, and always have You know, since the very first kind of rumblings of the teen genre you've always had these sort of like 8 or 9 years on 5 years off mm-hmm. you know, and so you saw that in the 80s with the John Hughes Brat Pack era 82 to about 89 teen movies were huge 89 to 94 nothing uh, and then uh, the, the area that we mostly cover 95 to 2004 really big again more teen movies produced than ever before And again, I think it just, it it sort of saturates the market, and then there has to be a down period. Mm. So, you know, you find in the latter half of the noughties, there's almost nothing. Um, And now I I feel like it's really starting to take shape again and to come back. And and it's difficult because I'm acutely aware that I think the, the, the main thing, you know, for me, the only sign that the teen genre is in good health is when adults start getting upset about it. So for you to say that it's frat boy country (laughs) and for me to say that I didn't particularly like Project X. That's why I was aiming that comment at. I think is ample proof that the teen genre is in good health because I didn't like Project X. Lots of other adults didn't like Project X, Mm. but we're not the point. Fucking $150 million worth of teenagers went out and saw Project X. So whatever we think of it, the teen genre is starting to work again.
1: Wow. That's made me feel really irrelevant. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, me too.
0: And I like I'm aware, you know, and and I think you look at the other end of the spectrum, and you look at something like the way way back. Uh, great reviews. Adults loved it. Made no money. No teenagers saw it. You no. know, that's a that's a nostalgic kind of like way past its sell by date so-called teen movie for adults yeah. and I, I think it's far more important that the teen genre is working for the teenagers themselves.
1: Yeah. Looking through those clips it's like been the same since and I, I like that you don't dip into the kind of history of the teen movie and we don't have to kind of go through the rigmarole of seeing Greece and Rebel Without Cause and all that kind of stuff but the one thing that hasn't changed since Rebel Without Cause is people clearly in the mid-30s playing teenagers.
0: Yeah for sure, I mean that, that's perennial for, for various reasons you know child labor laws <laughs> being a key one um and i think that's certainly a problem that the teen genre has always and will always grapple with i do think this era of teen genre of teen movies was far better mm-hmm. than the previous in that you know amongst the films we watch, there are many many dozens if not hundreds that star actual teenagers a couple written by actual teenagers you look at something like kids or 13 and you're suddenly seeing like actual teenage stories told by teenagers to other teenagers mm. um so it's always a problem, but I think it's getting better and better and better. And you look at these films, and actually, there's a few, obviously, where you, you're looking at people in their mid to late yeah, 20s. I don't
1: believe Michael Vartan was ever a teenager. Yeah, Michael yeah. Vartan. Yeah.
0: But uh, but equally, you know, you, you get the occasional person in there who, you know, even some of the, like, titans of it, uh, Lindsay Lohan in Mean Girls was 17. Mm. And so the, the shoot was a nightmare because everyone else was in their 20s. <laughs> she was 17, and they had to, like, ring the bell at 5 p.m. every day and send her home. Goddamn
1: child (laughs) labor laws. Was there anything, uh, I won't keep you any longer, but uh, you had to kind of trawl through a lot of films. Was there anything that you hadn't seen before that really kind of surprised you and kind of popped out? so
0: many, so many films. I mean, we had close to 300 films in our kind of pile of research uh, by the end of it, and I'd probably only seen 100, 150 before. Uh, And even that felt like saturation. So to suddenly Mm. sort of dive into a whole 150 movies that I never sort of, was 15 was pretty intense and there were loads that i was just amazed at how fascinating they were and how bizarre they were i mean several of the ones we cover in that idle hands um I'm trying to think of others disturbing behavior was a real uh, revelation for me mm. a film i'd never even heard of uh suddenly discovered it watched it found that there were so many like incredibly like permeable images in this film, and just sequences that encapsulated some of the ideas we wanted to talk about better yeah. than anything else I'd ever seen. I mean, there's one key moment in that where we wanted to, uh, you know, have the traditional uh, introduction of all the different cliques in yeah. the high school cafeteria, and uh, you know, we were thinking, like, what's the prototype example of that that we can go back to, and obviously there's Mean Girls, there's yeah. Ten, 10 Things About You, you yeah. there's the sort of ones you think you associate with that trope. But honestly, the one in Disturbing Behaviour is better than any other <laughs> I've ever seen before. And it's just, it sums up that, that trope and that feeling of the kind of jungle of the cafeteria better than anything else I could imagine.
1: That's awesome because I saw dis- uh, Disturbing Behaviour and Idle Hands when I was younger and kind of just wrote them off a little bit. And I think that after seeing this, I'm immediately going <laughs> to revisit them.
0: Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like, a lot of the movies in this film are not perfect movies. Mm. I have very little interest in perfect movies I'm much more interested in films like Disturbing Behaviour, Behavior, films like Idle Hands that have some great ideas, some beautiful raw imagination to them, but maybe don't hold together because mm. they're sparky they're weird, they're bundles of energy that were never designed to be kind of held up as perfect films and I, I love them for it
1: Well, I commend you Charlie Lyon, thank you very much Thank you so much um so yeah. That was uh Chai line uh, who literally couldn't escape me for, for kind of ten <laughs> minutes there. Uh what I like to put about the film Ed is it literally was beyond Clueless. Like it could so easily have focused on those bigger films like Clueless and and uh like uh, Mean Girls or Ten Things to Hate About You. Um but instead it kind of picks on really kind of uh kind of some of the titles that people might have missed. like specifically there's a very kind of funny dissection of The film Idle Hands, which is something that I was kind of lucky enough to catch very late at night on television once and just thinking, what the fuck is this? But then all of a sudden here it is in a piece of kind of film criticism and uh, films like The Craft, uh, which obviously was quite successful at the time, but I'd kind of just forgotten about it. It's kind of finding things in those films that, that makes the film unique.
2: The problem is, I think a lot of people, when they think of teen movies, they probably go in and think, oh, it's going to be about The Breakfast Club or something. Or it's going to be talking about these things in a more straightforward, talking head sort of way. And uh, what, I, what I really liked about it is it does draw from these kind of obscure places like that, disturbing behaviour um, as well is a very uh, kind of interesting and weird one. And you draws from all these kind of different places to create something that feels very cohesive in the way that it uh, depicts how all these different themes, you know, about, uh, you know, social classes, uh, sex, uh, you know, the the fear of change and growing up, all of these things, how they run through films that are, you know, wildly different from each other.
1: I also give the film serious props for using a clip from... Uh... A little scene film uh, called Cherry Falls. Did, did you ever see Cherry Falls, Ed?
2: Oh, I did not know. Yeah, it's
1: a film in which um, the as uh, a killer, killer is kind of uh, uh, terrorizing a small American town, um, but he's only killing virgins. So, over the course of one night, every teen in that town tries to lose their virginity in one night, and it features uh, Michael Bean from uh, Terminator: and Aliens in in the role as the kind of town sheriff. And he has an amazing line, which I wish would have been in the film, but it wasn't. Um, when he says, um, when he finds out that this is what kids are doing, he's like, "It's going to be a goddamn hymen Holocaust," which is could be one of the best lines ever committed to cinema. Um, but yeah, I mean, none of these films are off limits uh, in Beyond Clueless, and you know it's all the richer for it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It it, it definitely benefits from uh, having a a a genuine respect for what these films try to accomplish in trying to encapsulate the teen experience, sometimes straightforward, sometimes metaphorically, uh, but, you know, it also has a a tremendous sense of fun about it, particularly in the uh, discussion of the aforementioned Idle Hands, in which they talk about the film as being literally uh, a film in which a young man's life is determined by his left hand. Mm. Uh, which is a very kind of wry masturbation joke for those who don't get it. <laughs> yeah, um, which I doubt is anyone. No,
1: yeah, exactly. We're all we have a lot of respect for our audience and uh, your intelligence collectively. Um, our
2: audience of furious masturbators. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're at home wanking yourselves into madness <laughs> to the sounds of our voices week in week out. Um, but you know, yeah, you know, to their own. Um, the film could very easily have been. Just a kind of a nostalgia fest. Uh, um, as much nostalgia does play a very uh, kind of important part in the film, but it, it's no by no stretch of the imagination is it a hey look at the, how funny their clothes were in the nineties. Is a piece of film criticism.
2: Yeah, it it definitely is a a serious you know pseudo serious uh, but definitely very intelligent and well crafted examination of these different films and what they mean in a kind of in relation to each other and what they say about the genre and about that period of time without just, you know, pointing out the silliness of the fashions. It it takes them on their own terms rather than laughing at them.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I think, do you say that, I mean, I've not seen the film myself, but uh, you said you were reminded very much of uh, Los Angeles plays itself. And I know that uh, Charlie Lyon said it was a huge influence on him.
2: Yeah, it, it, it that was the first thing it, it reminded me of. It, it definitely has that same sort of feel of someone taking all of these films and then using them to address something that's deeply, uh, uh, deeply personal to them in the case of uh, uh, Thomas Anderson, about the different ways in which Los Angeles has been depicted on screen and the way in which cinema has kind of accidentally worked as a way of documenting the evolution of los angeles over a century of cinema because of just the fact that hollywood happens to be uh, adjacent to and part of los angeles mm. and how uh, the diff- different films depict it in different ways and the kind of uh, masochistic relationship that hollywood has with los angeles in terms of constantly destroying it or depicting it as a, a, a high a hotbed of uh sin and depravity and That same kind of aesthetic is applied to Beyond Clueless in that it's about the ways in which these films that were made during this period, uh, incidentally, are kind of a sociological uh, documentation of what it was like to be in high school during that uh, nine-year period. And sometimes that involved someone being a werewolf or a witch. (laughs) but uh, how those films aren't any less uh, true in what they were saying about the, the experience just because they were fantastical.
1: Mm, absolutely. I mean, I was very pleased to see... Uh, it's a film we've talked about before, but uh, Ginger Snaps is uh, one of my favourite high school uh, teen movies. Um, is there, was there any films that they touched upon in there that you uh, were particularly pleased to see represented or perhaps ones that uh, you thought might have been uh, included?
2: I, I was very pleased to see Robert Rodriguez's *The Faculty* included, mm. which is a film that I, I really like. As someone who is a fan of *Invasion of the Body Snatchers* and *The Thing*, which uh, are two films that it cribs from fairly shamelessly. Mm, you could say, yeah,
1: yeah. You could say, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that because you said the word shamelessly.
2: Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't hide the fact that the scene in which they're all snorting drugs is essentially the same as the blood testing scene mm. from *The Thing*. Uh, and and that's kind of what I love about it it's wearing its influences on its sleeve but it also is I feel quite a earnest and uh, sincere attempt to capture the experience of being an outsider in high school and using the invasion of body snatchers idea of conformity to illustrate the the feeling of being someone who is an outcast in kind of a social way uh, when everyone else seems to fit in more than you
1: Mm. yeah i kind of Charlie at the end of the interview said, we kind of talked to you about the uh the kind of future of the teen movie um kind of where do you see it going? I mean, I watched uh one of the key films of the kind of post uh mean girls movement, I guess you could call it the the wave of teen movies that have come since mean Girls um I saw um high school musical uh, which Kind of offers this the kind of sterile, sexless, um, kind of kiddified uh, version of the high school experience. I saw that for the first time on Friday, um, and I have to say I rather enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a film that is, like you say, it's very sterile and sexless because it's a a Disney made for TV movie. But it also is, you know, very heartfelt, and there's not really an ounce of cynicism in the performances. Uh, there may be a, a certain degree of cynicism in Disney's exploitation of it over the years and mm. turning it into one of their huge brands, but I think that everyone in that is, you know, doing their this to put on a big show for everyone, and that's, you know, very, very sweet and uh, and admirable of them.
1: Yeah, but, I thought it was weird that I've I've not... I've watched Zac Efron's career unfold kind of in reverse, because, like, the, the first film, and to date the only film I'd ever seen him in, was The Paperboy, so... I've seen him being pissed on by Nicole Kidman and then I've seen you know you know this kind of cherubic kind of uh uh huffer in uh, this kind of high school musical film.
2: Yeah, you've you've benjamin buttoned his career.
1: Mm, yeah.
2: Which I think makes for an interesting uh, an interesting take on his work from a critical perspective. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the teen movie where it's going I think I feel I don't want to get all nostalgic about these sort of things, but I do feel as if the way that Hollywood makes films now kind of excludes that because the one of the things that's interesting I th- I think about teen movies certainly during that period is that they are very kind of focused on female characters in a way that a lot of films in Hollywood aren't at the moment. Mm. There aren't really that many uh, female-led uh, kind of mid-range relatively low budget comedies or horrors or things like that they tend to be more aimed at adults and less interested in appealing to kind of this market that really sustained it for a really long time and i think that unless there are some films that demonstrate that that audience is still there like a, a film like clueless that comes out and really kind of breaks the mold and really Does hugely well uh, that Hollywood won't turn to making those sort of films. I mean, maybe something like *The Fault in Our Stars* will uh, will have that effect, and that, and the double whammy of that, and *If I Stay* will maybe draw more kind of low budget weepies aimed at teenage girls. But you know, it doesn't seem like there's that much of a a move to bring back kind of snarky or uh, metaphorically rich horror movies in the way that some of these films in beyond clueless are
1: um do you think that the the young adult uh kind of uh franchises as superseded the teen movie is where you're going to find those uh, especially uh female lead driven films and things like twilight although to say that's a female driven lead film is is very kind you could literally have drawn a face on a shower curtain and got more kind of depth to a character than uh, christian stewart imbues that with um uh, but like things like Hunger Games, and yeah, uh, what are the other ones Divergent, and all those kind of things—is that where those those kind of uh, uh, stories are being explored?
2: There definitely seems to be a a kind of bent in Hollywood now to make films that have heavy sci-fi and action elements in order to bring in teenage boys. Mm which is definitely something that played into the success of The Hunger Games and Divergent, although obviously they're still driven by uh, by by female audience members as well. There, there needs to be this sense that you can't make a film that's just for young women, and I think that... And also, studios seem to be stuck in a situation where they want to spend big to win big, so they want to spend... 80 million on Divergent, or, n- or you know, 50 odd million on Twilight, rather than uh, spending sort of 10, 15 million on a more modest film with with maybe an original premise, or at least you know, in, you know, Clueless, obviously is is based on Emma by Jane Austen, so that's kind of semi original, but it's obviously an original take and a kind of a fresh idea. Mm. Uh, there seems to be less. Desire in Hollywood to take small risks for modest gains when they could take big risks for huge gains.
1: Yeah. Um, I think uh, there was a film out a few years ago called uh, Easy A, which felt like a real throwback to uh, that kind of uh, golden age. Um, I don't know if you saw it. I mean, a lot of people didn't like it. Well, I really liked it.
2: Yeah, I did see it. It was great. It was my, f- I think, the first time I saw Emma Stone in anything.
1: Oh, yeah, it was definitely mine, uh, I- yeah.
2: I thought she was she was fantastic and, and really winning, and it also played into that idea, you know, connecting it to Clueless, and it is also a a teen movie that takes a work of classic literature and then applies it to to the the high school milieu, and uh, the transition is is more or less seamless.
1: Mm. Um, a bit, it seems to be like a bit of a uh, a rise as well at the moment of that kind of frat boy. Uh, uh film they're kind of uh, 21 and over and uh, uh, project x and uh, spring breakers and the spring breakers kind of stands out because that's actually pretty good um do you think that's a kind of shift to the kind of oh the kind of r-rated kind of teen movie has always been around kind of since you know porkies and you know american pie uh through animal house uh you know you can name quite a lot of them do you think that that's still a, a vibrant a rich seam of uh, of of kind of uh, possibility.
2: Uh, potentially, is I think you can see in you know the the Jump Street films fall into that as well, but they're obviously made with a, a a kind of a a greater degree of intelligence in terms of mining it for meta humor and being kind of postmodern. Mm.
1: Uh,
2: they fall into that, and I think that that whole thing has really been kicked into gear in the wake of the success of the Hangover films. Yeah particularly the first one, which obviously was a runaway success to an extent that no one had really seen. Even the, you know, the Apatow and the frat pack stuff in the early 2000s, none of them made the sort of insane money that the Hangover films did. Mm. And that was a film that injected a certain degree of mania and cruelty into R-rated comedies that certainly isn't present in a lot of the Apatow films because they, you know, something like Superbad... Has chaos and it has uh, a a cruel sense of humor, but it's also sweetened by a a genuinely kind of loving central relationship, mm. which you don't really see in Project X or Twenty One and Over. They're more about just kind of cunts, uh, gross out. Yeah, about cunts, about yeah. gross out. Gags and just uh taking people into kind of dark and grimy areas, which is something you also see in the hangover films, yeah, I think that that whole thing stems from that, and trying to find a version of that that you can uh, market to teens because then you can cast unknowns uh, <laughs> don't, and keep your budgets low and potentially reap you know sort of decent rewards from it
1: yeah absolutely um a film came out last year, it was one of. My belated favourite films of last year because I only saw it uh, this year. What was it? Two years ago. I can't remember. Uh, Pitch Perfect. That was fucking great. I love that film.
2: Yeah, that was uh, 2012. That one came out. But yeah, Yeah. that was uh, that was one I know you've kind of become a little obsessed with. Yeah. Since Uh, then.
1: Yeah, like um, I have to say, we have it on the the soundtrack is on constantly at work. So I think I've (laughs) I've listened to the soundtrack like. Way more often than I've seen the film, I've seen the film like twice, and I've listened to the soundtrack about six times weekly. Um, so yeah, um, but that's a really good one. They're, they're sequelising that as well. I, I, I can't get excited about it. I just it fills me with dread, even though all the the key, um, the key personnel are back, and Elizabeth Banks is directing it, which is quite good. But then I remember that she was one of the directors of Movie Forty Three, which was, as we talked about last year, one of the worst things a human has ever done or a collection of humans has ever done. Um, yeah, nev- never forget. But they've, they've also added uh, What's-A-Chops to the uh, the cast um, from True Grit. Hayley Steinfeld, is it?
2: Yeah, Haley St- Steinfeld. Yes,
1: that's yeah. the one. Uh, yeah, she's in the cast. Uh, so, you know, I should be positive, but I can't be.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like Movie 43 should uh, quell anyone's excitement for anything involving anyone involved.
1: Yeah, which uh, is fine.
2: For a time after watching it, I was tempted to, every time I reviewed a film featuring someone who had anything to do with Movie 43, I would write their name and then in brackets, Movie 43, and then a link to my uh, horrified review of it. Mm. Just to kind of, uh, to remind people that that Hugh Jackman and Kate Winslet, etc. were involved with this. Oh,
1: God, yeah um i think that you know like in baseball like any player with a kind of a suspicion of drug use against them and their kind of stats are listed they have a little asterisk by their name i think everyone who's in movie 43 needs a permanent fucking asterisk in their name so even if they win an oscar it's you know kate winslet asterisk was in movie 43 uh talking to a man with a screw on his chin um so yeah anyway i could, like, we need to get off movie 43 uh that it does would...
2: have teens in it though.
1: It does, yeah. But still, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, we've been there. Um quick quick question. Um, why do you think like we don't really see British high school movies? Um uh like there's, you know, American gangster films, there's British gangster films, there's, you know, American horror films, there's British horror films. The teen movie is a very doesn't really cross over to uh um to to these aisles um but like uh, yeah everyone goes to high school so what's that about
2: i think it's I, for me i think it's twofold i think it's because there's quite a long tradition of british teen uh, dramas on television in a way that you don't really have on american television in the sense that they're kind of constantly on mm. Like, Hollyoaks is on all the time. But Grange Hill, Grange
1: Hill is a long-running. A long is that still going? I don't know. You don't, um, you don't even live in Britain, then I'm asking you.
2: I think Grange Hill is. I think Biker Grove doesn't exist anymore. Right, okay. Or it might be the other way around. But, yeah, there were shows that, for a very long time, I think they defined the British kind of school experience. And every other instance of kids were being in stuff tended to be pushed to the... Uh, to the background or you would have something like about a boy where it's kind of half a teen movie mm. uh, about a kid going to a kind of a secondary school and half about Hugh Grant and, you know, his love life. And I think that that is one of the problems is it gets put to the side uh, because of, or, or it gets sidelined because of the fact that there's so much of it on television that no one thinks to make a, and also you can see in something like the in-betweeners, mm. Which was something that did that perfectly on television.
1: And Uh, the film, yeah, the film didn't work for me because they kind of took them out of school, and I kind of didn't like it after that.
2: Yeah, and it falls into the typical English problem of just making it one where they go on holiday. Mm. Uh, And the other problem I think is that there is a certain universality to all high school experiences in America that allows them to kind of draw on certain things that everyone goes for there's always uh the the sports team is always a huge thing that everyone's always concerned about and that is the center of so much of the social life you don't really have that in england because we don't place that much you know you might have a school team mm. but you're not having like two or three thousand people showing up to watch them on friday night
0: mm.
2: it's not being televised so there are certain things that are that don't have that that sense of universality that everyone goes through it in terms of things like you know young love worry about success worry about what you're going to do with your life in the future those things are all there as well and everyone goes through that but i think in terms of you know not everyone has or at least when i was at school not everyone had a prom not everyone had a homecoming dance you know there are these big social events that all teen movies build towards and often use them as things to mark events on their 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 narrative calendar, mm. but that you don't really get in England. And I think that having fewer of those kind of milestone events to write a story around mean that it's mean that it's harder to make a. British high school film that connects with as broad an audience as you can in America.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about the reliance of strong female leads in American teen movies. In British versions of those things, that strong female lead will be just be getting fingered around the back of a roller disco. <laughs>
2: um,
1: that's certainly, if you use My Life Story as the basis of, uh, of any kind of teen movie. I suppose something like um, Gregory's Girl would have that kind of covered, or um, Quadrophenia, I suppose, is a kind of a youth film of of, uh, of of British British culture, I suppose, stand out, but yeah, not really kind of hugely very, well represented.
2: Yeah, they're all exceptions mm. rather than something that I think people kind of draw on. And I think it also in America, it probably has something to do with the fact that the teenager is something that was is kind of an American invention. That you start seeing coming in the 50s it really defined the notion of you know people for the first time being young and having money and loads of spare time to kind of do whatever they wanted Mm. and defining that image whereas uh, and then england kind of copied it but that the film industry in america all those kids who were in the 50s kind of demonized by films that said oh they're all going to join gangs and they're all going to smoke dope and all this sort of thing um, they all grew up to then make films, and people like John Hughes were able to turn their experience, or, or George Lucas were able to turn their experience growing up at that time into films for the younger generation. And then the younger generation saw them and made their own films. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel that the we talked about this before, but you know, the British film industry is less supportive of different kinds of films that don't fit into certain molds, uh, you know, kind of prestige, prestige dramas and things like that. So there isn't that support network that allows people to come up and tell their own stories of growing up in, you know, uh, and their experiences from that age.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although, uh, it just kind of like reminded me, like Shane Meadows does that quite well in his films, things like Room mm-hmm. for Romeo Brass and This is England. But they're all told from outside of the school. Uh, they're always kind of about young kids. I mean, I suppose we see Kez, he's a high school kid, um, but. Uh, yeah it's not a huge part of the film um apart from that football match obviously that's pretty ace um so yeah um that's high school in movies guys um uh yeah beyond clueless um not sure when it's going to come out but please do try and see it. it's kind of doing festivals for the rest of the year i imagine it'll kind of surface next year but it's really worth seeing because it's quite unlike uh what you think it's going to be like
2: yeah, I think that whenever it comes out, we will harp on about it on, on Twitter and Facebook and things like that, because uh, we both really loved it and thought that it was a film that deserves to be seen, particularly if you grew up during the time that it documents in the film, and mm. if, if you have watched those films and loved those films. Uh, but, you know, I think it also... It has resonance for anyone who has those experiences and, and would like to see someone... It, in a, a very intelligent but very cinematic and very uh, sort of visceral way, illustrate how these different themes manifest themselves.
1: Yeah, and uh, I put five pounds into uh, on Kickstarter, so unless I've drastically misread the small print, I'm going to face a pretty healthy return on investment. If uh, <laughs> you guys all go and see it, um, so yeah, please do. Uh, like we mentioned before, the uh, score was done by Summer Camp. Uh, yeah, quite lovely uh, dream pop kind of combo um, uh, and yeah I recorded uh, their acoustic set that they played um, at the Beyond Clueless after party and they're going to play us out um, so uh, until next time it's goodbye from me
2: and goodbye from me and goodbye
1: from me <laughs>